This path of the Sof and Saluk is a hal, is in a state to be experienced. It's not a gal, something that can be expressed in words. Therefore, you cannot really conduct a course about the Sof, three month course, two month course, and just gather people and then give them a course for two, three months. No. Tasawwuf is a hal. What does it mean to be a hal? A hal means that it's a feeling and a state that a person gets inside themselves in their heart, and this is why a person has to submit themselves to this past. That's why it's called suluk. Suluk means a journey, a path. Salik is the traveler on that path and the person who is making that journey and therefore they have to actually take steps and travel on that path. So the Sof is not related to words and expressions. That's why many of our Mashaik used to speak very little. For example, Zakhali Baki Bilal used to speak very little. Once somebody went to him and asked him that Shaykh, you should talk and people will be able to benefit from your words. Hazrat Baki Bilal he responded that that person who is not able to benefit from my silence, he will never be able to benefit from my words. So in remaining silent that is how he would benefit people why? because the tawajjuh of the hearts reaches the hearts of others just like when you put a piece of steel near a, near a magnet then the steel becomes magnetized just like that when one sits in the majalis and one's mashayikh the hearts become attracted to Allah SWT therefore we should the first and foremost thing we should remember is that the purpose of tasawwuf is hal then the person may ask a question, then why do we have these gatherings? The reason is because many of the Salakin travelers on this path have come from far away. They're not able to maintain regular contact. They want to ask about their hal. They want to ask about what experiences they're having, what feelings they feel. So that's why Hazrat said, okay, then we will have a gathering just for Salakin. And because it is just a gathering of Salakin, then it is not called, but it is a gathering of Ahlihal, means it will be a gathering in which the people who are doing zikr and feeling some experiences can get together and discuss what are the experiences a person goes through on this path. And that's why on this series we are going to talk about all of the asbaq of Naqshabandi Mujaddadi Salah and every person who is on any sabak will therefore get instruction as to how to do their particular lesson in zikr and if then when we mention the advanced lessons a person hasn't reached them so they can make dua to Allah Ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala let them reach those advanced lessons but always remember that the soul can never be learned through words and even if we understand the words and descriptions we should never think that we've understood the Sawaf the Sawaf is a reality of how something that has to be lived and experienced and until it becomes our definition of our heart changes then even if we read 100,000 books on the Sawaf it won't make any difference that's why Malana Rum himself was an alim of deen but what did he say he said to take all the pages and all the pages of the book and cast them aside now this is an ordinary person not saying this Malana Rum was an alim of deen and a great scholar but he was and he was a great faqih and mufti of his time but what did he say he said you have to cast aside all of your books and learning in order to experience that 
while on this path. Therefore, that person who was, then I want to, on this path and journey, become closer towards Allah SWT. The first thing he has to do, that is called the have to fix your aqidah. Until a person's aqidah, creed, beliefs, outlook is not that of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, and according to the ulama al-Dewban, then a person's uh, journey on this path will not become complete. However effort he may strive, however much exertion he may expend, he will never be able to complete this journey. So the very first precondition for this journey is that one's aqaid must be correct. Some people prefer to act according to their own wishes. Sometimes they like to follow this imam, sometimes that imam, sometimes that imam. No, a person must follow do taqlid of one imam of fiqh, any among the imam of the fiqh. And this is the way of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, and this is what has been agreed upon by the community of scholars. And everyone who wants to deviate from this, will not be successful on this path. A person, similarly, a person of bidah, no matter how much he tries to become close to Allah SWT, will not be able to complete the journey because every bidah is going astray and every going astray will lead a person to the hellfire. So the first and foremost step is that a person must be steadfast and clear and pure in their aqidah according to the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah and Akabir Ulama and Deoband. I just said there is a reason for this that that in Ulama Deoban they all do the clear of Imam Abu Hanifa but while practicing the madhab of Hanafi Fiqh there's some tafsil, there are detailed understandings and detailed options within Hanafi fiqh. So ulama Deoban were those who took a more mahdat, which means more precautionary, more careful, more taqwa side. They didn't look for the loophole, they didn't look for the soft position because of their fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they would say that instead of trying to get a benefit at the risk of some harm, it's better to stay away from every benefit, every ease that has any risk of harm. So their way is known in Arabic as muhtat, one of ihtiyat, one of precaution. So we also have to have the same precautionary, cautious, careful approach to our understanding of deen and sharia. That's the first thing. Second thing is that this, so the first pre- prerequisite for this path is proper. Okay, the second thing is to make true tawbah from all of the sins that we have done. We should know that the nur of any zikr will never be able to stay with us while we do sin. We'll have to leave sin. When a person does sin, leaves it there. One thing is to worship the world, to worship wealth, to worship beauty. One thing is to worship your own nafs. All of these things are other than worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person, if they're on sin, means they have not completely submitted and obeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They must be submitting and obeying to their nafs or to the world or something else. And therefore, a person has to leave sin because sin is what leads to kufr. Because sin means that we're disobeying Allah Ta'ala because we're submitting to our own desires instead of submitting to Allah Ta'ala. So if a person is doing sin, then they're traveling in the other direction. They're traveling in the opposite way on the path. And then love for Allah Ta'ala is a very distant goal from them. It's not 
possible then that a person can keep doing sin and also keep progressing in their stages in Tasawwuf that's impossible imagine for example that you're traveling on a path and then the T-junction comes either you have to turn right or left you have to pick one of the two paths it's not possible that you say no I take the right side path and the left side path that's impossible just like that you can imagine that we have come today on this junction that we have two paths that we can pick from either the one of taqwa or the path of nafs there's no way you can do both and therefore obviously we should turn on the path that leads towards Allah the path of taqwa but that's a hundred percent turn a person must take and make complete tawbah from each and every one of sins that is necessary in order to progress on this path of the soul this doesn't mean that a person will never ever do sin again no because lifetime there's a possibility of sin all the time but at least a person's niya intention should be that they're turning away from sin a commitment in their heart a, that they want to live a life of taqwa when a person makes this niya and commitment then Allah subhanahu makes it easy for them to be true to that commitment we should think that we want to enter our house and there are people standing in front of the house and they're asking us that are you a friend or an enemy of the person of the house because we let the friends inside and we keep the enemies outside so if we say we're friends and they said okay do you accept everything we say or do you disagree with some of the things that we say so if we say no then outside the house I disagree with what the person in the house says so then they said then how can you present yourself as a friend so you want to be a friend inside the house but an enemy outside of the house but that's not possible the only one who will be considered a friend in the house is a friend who is outside the house that means that we have to make true tawbah from every sin and every aspect of our life it's not optional but it's mandatory now if we keep sinning and along the way we keep trying to learn and progress into self and saluk then we are just going to be getting pushed around in the path after five years six years we'll say that I've been banned for five six years and I still haven't become anything but the reason is not because anything other than the fact that we didn't leave our own sins and if we left our sins we would definitely have made some progress so that's why this prerequisite is that we have to make tawbah from all of our sins a person does sin from different limbs and organs of their body for example in this day and age a lot of people commit sin from their eyes and the sin of the eyes is to look at a member of the opposite gender when you look at a non-mahram member of the opposite gender with your eyes then you do a sin whether you look deliberately you will be harmed or even if you look unintentionally but repeatedly even that will cause you harm 
I wouldn't get those feelings again and for six months I kept trying I kept trying then I decided that I have to go and travel to my sheikh and I'll tell him so he went and traveled to the sheikh and he informed me of his condition and sheikh told him okay you should reflect that what sin did you do there must be some sin that you're doing think about it examine yourself reflect now when the sheikh said this and the sheikh's words hit him like lightning and then he realized and what did he say he said oh yes you know that my people who live in my neighborhood they have a daughter and their daughter has been coming to us in our home when she was a small child so we viewed her like our own daughter but now that girl just a few for one or two years she's attained puberty means she's 12, 13, 14 years and she still comes in our house and I still viewed her as a daughter but I shouldn't have looked at her because technically now she has attained the age of maturity so this must be the sin and she said yes this is the sin and this is why I lost all of my feelings inside my heart now he wasn't having intention of sinning wasn't looking lustfully but because the woman had attained girl had attained maturity then it was not lawful and shari so even an unintentional point of the story to show that even unintentional looking will have an effect on you just like if a person deliberately eats poison they will be poisoned if they unintentionally eat poison they will still be equally poisoned that's why a person must absolutely essentially stay away from all sin so the first thing of the sin is to preserve our eyes from looking on a member of opposite gender and if for some reason we end up seeing someone we should close, lower our eyes if we can't lower our eyes we can even temporarily close our eyes that's why Allah SWT has made our eyelids so small and it's so easy it's like a shutter it just takes a fraction of a second in fact people use this as an expression in the blink of an eye to mean a fraction of a second that's how small a time small a moment is why? because Allah Ta'ala wanted that his servants and slaves should be able to save themselves from the harms of sin in a fraction of a second and they cannot say to Allah Ta'ala we wanted to close the gate on sin but the gate was too heavy and we couldn't close it in time no Allah Ta'ala made it easy for us to close that door and if you look second time then it will be a deliberate looking after first unintentional the second look will be deliberate so we must control our gaze we must lower our gaze we must guard our eyes guard our chastity guard our mastity those who do it mashallah they are blessed and what will you get even if you look you won't be able to get anything by looking you will just get an insatiable desire an unfulfillable desire and what will you then do you will walk around with that feeling of desire and it will be of no benefit to you you will light a fire that you can't put out used to say that these are just 
images like dolls, you know, to how many are going to look at. So we should lose our tama, we should lose our attraction and desire entirely to all women outside, non mahram and opposite gender. Many young men have to say that we are not able to control our gaze and they don't understand what's the reason I want to and I can't. So Sheikh said this is the reason. The reason is what is called havas which means a greed. The lust is coming out of greed. They want to have, they greedily want all the beauties in the world. So a person should realize that that greed, you can never satisfy that greed. So therefore you should make intention that I make tawbah from all of the non-married women in the world in totality once and for all I have no greed for them no desire for them no yearning for them because she's somebody else's she's somebody else's wife somebody else's this doesn't belong to me once he said I was in a madras there was a madras and a masjid fellow travelers on the path and then mashallah, all of the men were married and they were talking about second wife and this is the favorite topic of men having a second wife so Hazrat says that I felt that even if there is somebody's nikah going on the father wishes that I could have a second nikah even the grandfather of the groom is sitting thinking I wish I could also be getting married today so in that gathering there are five people Salaki and people of Tajjad but mashallah they were talking with one another very attractively about second wife and it's a sunnah and we should follow the sunnah and this is the greatest proof what? This is Allah SWT in Quran has begun, began the ayah with the word Mathna 2-2 So Allah SWT began with saying married twice, then thrice, four times At the end he said okay first So Hazrati said I happened to be sitting there in the gathering also And I was listening to what they said and then there was a person who was really pushing this idea the Hadith said to him that okay yes you're doing Amal and Sunnah but you should do Kamil perfect Amal and Sunnah and then he said what do you mean and the Prophet said that number one Hadith said that number one so Sayyidina Rasulullah when he got married uh, the Prophet only married one uh, unmarried woman who was Ummum in Aisha otherwise every other woman was either a widow or a divorcee so therefore if you are going to get a second wife then you have to find a widow or a divorcee now these young men who were sitting in the masjid were wanting to marry young unmarried women they weren't thinking of marrying older widows and divorcees and this is the nature of men that the older and older the man gets the younger and younger woman he wants so this is why the 50 year old man wants to marry a 16 year old girl so that's the first amal and sunnah is that you should marry a widow because that if you want to say you want to follow sunnah then you should follow this so then they said yes and second as they said that Sayyidina Rasulullah his first nikah was who with Abu Umar Khadir that she was already married twice before so the Prophet was his third 
husband So if you want to follow the sunnah You should find a woman who's been twice widowed or divorced And you should be, you should be her third man Now the men were more quiet Because they wanted to marry unmarried women And then As they said the other sunnah Is that Umar al-Fadija was 15 years older than the Prophet So if you want to marry a second wife You should find a woman who's 15 years older than you Has already had two husbands before you Then you can say you're doing amal on sunnah And after hearing all of this Then all of the gathering was quiet all of their passion was calmed down. They said, we make Tawbah after tonight. We'll never make thinking of second wife. But then, the best part was, he says that the next day, that the leader of this movement, he came to me, when he said, that ever since I left, ever since I left having a second idea of having a second wife, now my wife looks really nice to me. <laughs> Ever since I gave up this idea of having a second wife. <laughs> so this is the fitra, this is the nature of insan. That when you have greed and desire and you covet something outside, you will never enjoy what you have inside. But the day you forget your greed for the outside, then you appreciate and enjoy what you have inside. And many times the husband even has an attractive wife. But he can't feel attracted to her Isn't she a woman? Isn't she beautiful? So if you say you're a man And you feel desire for a beautiful woman So why aren't you attracted to your wife Who herself is a beautiful woman? But what happens because he's slightly angry with her Just because he's slightly angry with her He loses all his attraction for her And then he gets attracted to women outside So this is wrong You should look at the anger You should cure your anger why are you not being able to attract it to her? Because of your greed. You have an insatiable greed. You have to make niyat that Allah make a decision. Allah Ta'ala, whoever you have given me in my nikah, that is your choice for me and I'm happy with your choice. And it's not for me and I'm content with that. Then once you become mutmain, then you won't care if the other women walking by, they're thin, they're fat, they're beautiful, they're not. So the young men especially, they can lower their gaze in this way by reducing their greed and interest for such women. The other thing is that when you look at all of these faces of women, you will become distant from Allah Taala. So nothing we should reflect on what is the price we're paying. What a terrible, tremendous, terribly tremendous price that we're paying that by looking at a woman, we become distant from Allah Taala. Therefore we must leave the sin of the lustful gaze. So number one is not to look at a non-member of the opposite gender. Second is also screen, TV, internet, etc. And now the husband doesn't see the face of the TV more than he sees his own wife's face. And even if he says, I'm listening, watching news, who is the newscaster? It's a woman. And he's staring every night at the same news program, the same woman, instead of looking at his wife. So this is the way the nafs makes a person fall into sin. And then a third difficulty today, and that is the internet. So live non-mehram women, women on TV, and then women on the internet. And Hazrat is saying that the internet is the gravest sin, the thing that has caused the most sadness in Deen is internet No human being has harmed Deen as much as internet and cell phone have harmed the Deen Nobody has betrayed Deen as much as internet and cell phone has made people betray Deen 
very few people are able to protect themselves from this as we once said a hafiz of Quran came to and every year he recites the entire Quran himself on Taraweeh and he prays Tahajjud without missing his wife is an alima and his wife also prays Tahajjud and he was also working on his path of Zikr for 2-3 years but he started crying the Hazrat asked him that what happened he said that today I have come with the niyat of Tawbah what happened he said that I work in the furniture business and I had to surf on the website to look at different furniture websites and get an idea of the market and then all of a sudden some link came up and my desire raised and I started clicking on the link and then I reached some other website where there are white women and I just started looking at things even though I felt guilty but I couldn't stop myself all the while I was looking I still felt guilty but I couldn't stop myself and now for the past one year every day I secretly hiding from everyone surf these bad sites for one hour a day and now today I've decided I want to make toba from this hypocrisy I cannot fool Allah SWT even if I can fool the world I don't want to show up on the day of judgment to Allah Ta'ala in this way so I want to make true toba from this sin imagine a person is married, has children, his wife is an alama, they're happily married, he's a hafiz of Quran, but the internet has sucked him in and made him addicted to sin. So therefore that young man who works on the computer, they should be very careful about this. They should view the internet as enter into the net. And once you connect into the internet, think that you have fallen into the trap and you've been caught by a net. And only Allah Ta'ala can take you out of that trap. So whether looking at TV or um, internet, all of this is the same. You are looking at a non-mahram. And to look at a non-mahram woman, you look at the darkness of sin in your heart. Every single glance and gaze that you take puts the darkness of sin in your heart. So this is the first and foremost thing that you have to, we have to, you have to abstain from this. And you must make dua to Allah Ta'ala to protect you from this. But Allah Ta'ala has a rule that if a person leaves a sin, then Allah Ta'ala gives them much, much more than they hope, could ever hope for and ever desire. That's the meaning of hadith that that person who stops looking at non-mahram women, then Allah Ta'ala will give him lazat in his ibadah, sweetness in his worship. So what is the better way to get focus on your zikr kalbi than by getting the lazat and pleasure in your abandon. So what does it mean we'll never be able to do our zikr of the heart until we're able to lower our gaze? It's not possible that we keep misdirecting our gaze and somehow still we get pleasure in abandon. No. So we must 100% leave this sin. Then the next sin that a person does after the eyes is the sin of the tongue. One of the prevalent sins of the tongue is to lie. And now lying has become so widespread that it seems as if people don't even view lying to be a lie anymore. And shaitan is enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Has removed people's dislike for lying.
Why? Because instead of calling it lying, they don't they don't call a lie. So no one's making an excuse. I was telling a fib, I said a white lie. They come up with some other word. And even the husband says that, that I had to tell my wife a white lie. The wife says that to her husband, the student says that to a teacher. What does that mean? It's just nothing different than lying. A lie is a lie, no matter what name you call it. So we should call it a lie. So at least our heart will feel guilty about doing it. So this is what Shaitan did That he made us feel less Dislike for lying By saying that it's not a lie It's okay, I have to do it And lying has become so widespread Sometimes we even see That sometimes a person Even commits a sin of lying Without any benefit Without any reason Without any purpose Without any benefit For example, I'll be back in one second now can he come back in one second? And whosoever says I'll be back in one second, he just told a lie. Because it's physically impossible to go and be back in one second. Or says I'll call you back in one minute. Normally a person takes more than one minute to call back. So even that is technically lying. So all of these things that we say, we're so used to desensitized to saying sin we have to do etiyat we should be careful from this we shouldn't say any word or sentence that is against the reality against the facts once he told Hazrat that now you must work he gave Hazrat a sabak in zikr and then said while doing this you have to make sure that your tongue doesn't say any type of lie. And then as the Muslim said, I didn't tell you that you have to speak the truth. I'm telling you to not lie. I'm not saying that you have to speak truth. I'm saying you have to lie. Don't lie. What does that mean? That sometimes a person is even speaking truthfully but is lying inside. That means that the highest level of adab is that you should speak the truth but with also deal with people truthfully. Some people say something that is factually correct but they're dealing with people unfaithfully. So the words themselves are factually true But inside their heart They have some false intention Of saying those words So a person should be very transparent Truth, whole truth, complete truth Why do we tell a lie? That is because many times we say a lie So that the other person won't get angry Or because the other person Will find out about my mistake or my fault But if we have so much fear From that person That what if he gets angry with me Or what if he finds out about mistake So why don't we have fear for Allah That Allah Ta'ala feels How how angry will Allah Ta'ala be with me if I lie so we are telling a lie because of fear of a human being Whereas we should stop lying out of the fear of Allah SWT Why are we afraid that this person will get angry with us Rather we should be afraid that Allah Ta'ala will be angry with us so we should have more fear for Allah SWT in our heart Then after we lie That a person will in order to cover up their lies Has to say another lie Now they've said two lies Then to cover this up Then they have to say a third lie and then it goes on and on and on. So the more and more you lie, the more you'll have to lie to cover up your lies. But however fast that this line goes, the truth will catch up to it. So because the truth is going to catch up to you inevitably, better to just remain on the truth from the outset. And sometimes, yes, it's difficult to say the truth, but it's better to say it anyway. And if you 
It's nothing wrong in admitting your faults and accepting your mistakes if that is what truth requires. It's written in the books that that person who tells a lie from his mouth a foul odor comes out due to which the angels stay two miles away from him. Such a foul stench comes from his mouth that's mentioned in Hadith. But now imagine a person who lies a foul odor comes from his mouth that the angels go away from him then how can that person get close to Allah Ta'ala on the path of the Sof and Saluk when the angels are becoming distant from him? So we have to leave all lying And we should watch this carefully And we should reflect and analyze and scrutinize ourselves carefully That what are those statements that I say that are slightly lying or sometimes lying And we should try to fix it And we should stay away from lying altogether There was once a sheikh and Hazrat asked him once but Shaykh, tell us some way that a person can be, du'as can always be accepted by Allah SWT. I just said I was a young school going boy at that time. So that Shaykh smiled and laughed at me. And then he said, come close to me boy. And as he said, I went close to him. And the Shaykh said that that tongue that always speaks truthfully, Allah Ta'ala will always accept the du'as that are made from that tongue. That tongue that always utters truth, Allah Ta'ala will always accept the du'as from that tongue. SubhanAllah. So one is that we must stay away from lying on the tongue and the second is we have to stay away from backbiting on the tongue. This is also a great sin. That backbiting is even more intense in Allah Ta'ala's regard than zina. So, and we have to not only ask Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness, but we have to ask people's forgiveness who we did backbiting. And the usul of this is that number one, you should never talk about somebody who is absent. So if you're sitting with a group of people, just talk to each other about one another. Don't talk to or about anybody who is absent from that gathering. If somebody else's mention does arise, then you should only speak favorably about them, positively about them. And if anybody says anything unfavorable, then you have to withdraw yourself from that gathering. For example, if somebody raised up the topic of someone, so you should say, try to critique him. You should say, no, but mashallah, he prays salah. No, but you should look at mashallah, he's educated. Or you should mention some good attribute of that person to counter the backbiting. If you did that, and you mentioned some positive attribute, then you won't be sinful of listening to that person's backbiting that other person but if you remain silent then you are guilty also of the backbiting because you listen to it you can say anything you can positive about them oh he's a good father or he keeps his wife happy or he's a very loyal to his friends or he's a smart businessman he must have some good attribute in him so the second somebody said some negative attribute about them you should not be silent because if you're silent then you are a silent partner in crime you should immediately retort and mention some praiseworthy attribute and if you're closer to that person then it's even better that you tell them that look why are you talking like this is backbiting but not everybody can you directly 
retort to them like that so then at the least you should mention a praiseworthy attribute so to stay away from lies to stay away from backbiting and the third sin that has become very widespread in this day and age is to speak use your tongue to speak to non-mehram this is also haram Sayyidina Rasulullah talked about the zina of the eyes and the, to look at them zina of the ears is to listen to them and zina of the tongue is to talk to them So on the cell phone, this is used many times, so much for sin, for sinful talking with the non-mahram. And however long a person talks, all of that is doing zina of the tongues. You have even heard that some people in Tawaf, they're making Tawaf, and while doing Tawaf, they're on their phone talking to a non-Mahram woman and telling them that oh, I'm doing Tawaf, I'm going in front of this corner, I'm going in front of Rukni Amani, oh, I'm on my fifth round, oh, there's so much rush. They're giving news casting to their unlawful beloved. So therefore, when it comes to the cell phone, we should view the cell phone as a hell phone. That this phone is going to take so many people into the fire of Jahannam. There are very few blessed people from Allah who will be protected from the sinful effects of the cell phone. Another example is that of the hands writing messages, you know, to non-mahram women. And to read such messages is in of the eyes. And to talk to her on the phone is in of the tongue. So on the cell phone all three sins can take place. <coughs> Then another thing is that a person must stay away from the sins of the mind. But does that mean that a person has a bad idea but they keep thinking about that sinful thought? They keep delivering about it. For example, a thought of a non-mehram woman, then this is the sin of the mind, the sin, zina of the mind, zina of thoughts. And this is a problem also that young men and women have fantasizing and many of them may think that it's not a sin they may think that well I'm not married I don't have anyone so what's wrong with having these fantasy thoughts in my mind so this sin of fantasies and fantasizing this has also a very devastating effect on a person's mind so if you saw a non-mahram woman, you may see her for 10 seconds, then she went to me, but you can fantasize about her for hours after seeing her for just 10 seconds. And all the time that you keep thinking about her, keep fantasizing about her, all that time you were getting the blackness of sin on your kalb. Especially in this path of the sobo, fantasies and fantasizing is a tremendous sin that blackens the person's heart. No, we Nobody can free themselves from having bad thoughts. Bad thoughts will come, but we shouldn't reflect on them. We shouldn't ruminate on them. We shouldn't dwell on them. We shouldn't have a train of thoughts. We should just ignore them. Allah Sayyidina Rasulullah used to tell us, 
that the fact there's a traffic man, policeman who is directing traffic on an intersection, his job is to make sure that there should never be a traffic jam. And therefore, he will always keep the traffic flowing from right to left, from left to right, from front to back, back to front. And he will keep directing the flow of traffic. So as long as the traffic flows in the right direction, then he will be considered a good traffic cop. And he can even get salary and get reward and get distinction letters, etc. But if that same person is not able to manage intersection and whatever car comes in the intersection and gets stuck and he doesn't keep the traffic flowing, then you'll have a traffic jam and the intersection will be clogged. Then, then he will be removed from that post. He may even be fired from the police. So just like that, our mind is like an intersection. You will get good thoughts and you will get bad thoughts. Shariya has taught us that if you're good, if they're good thoughts and you should think about them more but if they're bad thoughts you should keep them flowing and you should just make them pass on so the bad thoughts should be nothing more than fleeting thoughts and passing thoughts so remember that everybody will have a bad thought occur to them to have a bad thought occur is not bad but to dwell on that bad thought and then to keep reflecting on it in the heart and then letting that bad thought take over your heart that is bad so on occasionally occasionally getting a bad thought is not bad because this is not in our control many times in thoughts come involuntarily this is also the power of Allah and His blessing that thoughts occur to us for example if your wife told you that it's time for iftar I want to prepare for iftar so you have to get such and such grocery items from the market and you leave your house and on the way you meet an old school friend of yours after 15-20 years so you meet them you stop you're talking to them catching up but while you're talking to him you keep getting the recurring thought in your mind that I have this list I have left my home to get these groceries every few minutes you will remind yourself and if you didn't get this recurring thought and then you were so engaged with your friend and being engaged with your friend made you forget that thought then you go back empty handed and when you go back then your wife would have you for iftar so this is the mercy of Allah that while we get busy and engaged in one activity still our thoughts can reoccur to us and that, that's why that when you part from that friend then you would know you would go straight to the store because you kept getting recurring thoughts of what is your original reason for leaving the house so this repetition of thoughts is something that Allah has made in us so everybody will have good thoughts and bad thoughts but the difference is that for the salik you will get you will initially have more bad thoughts and good thoughts then you have to work on yourself and if you work on yourself and stop paying attention to the bad thoughts then they will start diminishing and they will go down in quantity and then the good thoughts will go up because if you dwell on the good thoughts another sin that a person does is the sin of the stomach many times a person buys manufactured goods 
but nobody knows who has made it not manufactured but food from restaurants and we don't know who the cook is and we don't know what the state of the cook is so therefore whatever food we eat there's something mandatory about the food that whatever is going in our mouth is it halal or not that is part for us to determine we can't just say that oh well I ate I didn't know I was ignorant Surya says no before you eat you did have to find out you can't remain ignorant you should not eat what you're ignorant about you can only eat, put in your mouth that morsel which you are certain that is halal and just like that there are some things that are mushtabit that are doubtful gray area that they are from all over different parts of the world sometimes Muslim world sometimes non-Muslim countries in this day and age of global trade you will find everything everywhere so a person should be very careful yes if you need to get something like biscuits or cookies manufactured processed items then you should always make sure that you read the list of ingredients and make sure that they're all, that they're all halal and you should keep worried about this and you shouldn't think that okay whatever I get I can just eat it and my stomach is just a big repository for me to put whatever I want in it some salakin have made their stomach a trash can just like in a trash can whatever you want you can throw in it so no our stomach isn't like that not that whatever our hand touches we can put it in our mouth no we have to be careful about this because if something haram does enter into our stomach then all of our effort of zikr will also become wasted Sheikh Shaulullah has written in his own autobiography that once I went to a gathering an invitation for food and I didn't know but the food there was doubtful but I ate it anyway I ate it without knowing and then what happened was that all of my inner feelings became laid to waste and I was so worried and I made istighfar to Allah Ta'ala begged Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness and then I went to my shaykh Hazrat Mirza Mazhar Jana Jana Naktana this is Qazi Sanallah so Qazi Sanallah went to Hazrat Mirza Mazhar Jana Naktana and he said okay you'll have to come to me every day and every day I'll give you tawajjuh to remove the effect of this haram food he says I went to my shaykh every day and every day shaykh would give me individual tawajjuh and then he says and he would give me such tawajjuh that if he was to give this tawajjuh to an elephant even the elephant would be shaken up such strong tawajjuh he said that for 40 days I had to go to shaykh every single day and get that only to remove the negative effect of eating that doubtful food once in one meal and only then did the negative effect of that food leave my heart so imagine that 40 days of such powerful individual to remove the harmful effects of one doubtful meal then imagine if we are always having doubtful foods that's why Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq once when he ate something that was doubtful he induced vomiting and the Prophet said you put yourself through that Sayyidina Abu Bakr said that even if I somebody told me that if I vomit the food my roux will come out meaning I will die even then I would vomit that food because I don't want to have anything haram in me that's why we should be very very careful about what we eat and that's why our Mashaykh 
Alhamdulillah, they used to only eat the food of people who used to pray Salah regularly. Just like that, other sins are done with the hands, the feet. We should not harm anyone. We should not take anybody's wealth or property. We should not hurt anybody's heart. We should not walk with our feet in the direction of sin. We must preserve and safeguard our organs from all of these sins. When we preserve and protect ourselves from sin, then we will be called the time somebody has truly repented. And if today we were to analyze ourselves and for example take a checklist and fill out a form that are our eyes Muslim yes no so how many of us could what would we take that eye that looks at a non-mahram woman cannot be called a Muslim eye we'd have to take a no then the next question is your tongue Muslim no, that tongue that does backbiting that tongue that lies that tongue cannot be called a Muslim tongue so again we'll have to take a no are your ears Muslim do they listen to incorrect things yes we listen to the sound voices of Muhammad. so again no how about your mind and your thoughts do you ever think impure thoughts and the answer is yes then our thoughts can't be Muslim so quick no what about our private part not Muslim our hands feet not Muslim if you were to take a chart and checklist and each and every single limb and organ ends up being non-Muslim so how can we say we're Muslim what is there that we are calling Muslim on what basis are we Muslim even if a person says La ilaha on their tongue if in their heart they haven't submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then what benefit is it to say in the tongue you, whether you are Arab or not Arab you Allah is La ilaha illallah there is no God except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but this will only be when your heart testifies to this reality so we should keep this in mind as well we must break all the idols that we have in our mind just like we have to break the stone idols that exist we also have to break the idols that exist in our mind and our fantasies Ibn Jawziranta has written once a person was Hafiz of Quran and he misdirected his gaze and then he forgot Quran and Kareem even though he'd been Hafiz for 20 years just through one misdirected gaze as he says that once I asked my Shaykh Hazrat Quran Abhi Brantana that has I'm young I don't understand so sometimes things I don't understand please explain them to me to the Shaykh said, okay, ask. So they said that I asked that this incident is written by Ibn Jawzirah I don't understand that the person was a Hafiz for 20 years and once he cast a lustful gaze, he lost the entire blessing of Quran and he forgot the entire Quran. Such a big punishment for one glance, just looking by one time. So Hazrat Murshidam responded and said that actually this was the ghairat of Allah SWT. This is the ghairat means the pride of Allah SWT. That He is the real beloved and He wants that my servants and slaves shall love me and only me. 
they should want me and only me. So when a person leaves Allah subhanahu wa and starts getting attracted towards creation and then looks at creation lovingly, to Allah ta'ala, comes and Allah ta'ala takes away their blessing of Quran. And the Sayyidina I have the most ghayrah of all of the humans, all the children of Adam Islam, Allah has more ghayrah than me. This is why we should always remember this I love you and I miss you. This Allah Subhanahu also hears this. So if we ever say these words to Allah, then Allah will say, okay, fine, you love her, you miss her. And that's fine. If you want to love her and you want to miss her, and now you want to also do zikr. So now our only beloved is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our only Allah, our Rabb is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no beloved that we have other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we must make Tawbah from all of these sins. The first thing was, number one, that we have to make we have the correct Akkad. And second, that we have to make Tawbah from all sins. So going back to the first point, Imam al-Rabbani said, he's written about his own incident. That I had a Khadim who did a lot of service and attended to me, and I had a lot of love for him in my heart. But one day he came and he said that my brother is in his last stages of illness. He just looks like he's going to pass away and die. Please come and I want you to come and make some tawajjah on his heart so that inshallah he can die in a good state. So Imam Rabbanta says that because he was such a beloved khadam of mine, so I went to go see the brother and I went there. For one hour I sat there and made tawajjah. Doing on this person for one hour. So, but it had no effect on him whatsoever. And then eventually then he died in that state. So then as it said that I felt very sad and a great sorrow and grief in my heart. And I kept asking Allah SWT that what happened, oh Allah. Why did this happen like this? The person was impenetrable. That despite all of this, and then I cried to Allah Ta'ala for one week, and then Allah Ta'ala then inspired me and said that that man actually was a person of the incorrect Akita. And he even just associated with the people of incorrect Akita, and therefore he had been affected by their beliefs. And therefore, his heart was impenetrable and numb to your tawajjah. Imagine just keeping the company of people who have the incorrect taqidah has such a bad effect on the heart that the majidah of the time gives tawajjah on the heart and it has no effect. So that means we must disassociate ourselves from all the people who don't have the correct taqidah. The second thing is to make tawbah 100% from all of our sins. So this is the path by which we get the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That's why we do zikr on this path of tasawuf and saluk Because the more and more you do zikr Then you get more love for that The more zikr you do of any being The more you will have love for that being but That's why we do zikr That zikr of Allah SWT is a cure for the Spiritual cure for the ailments of the heart And this is also the path of staying away from sin That by treading and traversing the path of saluk Then a person gets so much Islam rectification that they're able to purge themselves from all sins. Once a person asks Sheikh Ashraf Ali the Sheikh, what is the maqsood, the ultimate objective of the Sawaf? What is the ultimate objective and purpose of the Sawaf? Sheikh said, the ultimate purpose and objective of the Sawaf is to remove even the matter of sin, the mother of sin, anything related to sin from the depth of a person's being. To remove any potential of sin from the core of our being That is the purpose of the soul On this path If a person makes intention That I want to learn the soul So that I will get some gush Or I will get some karam and some miracle Or I become popular Or I want to learn the soul so that I can get khilafat All of this is shirk All of this is shirk then we should make tawbah from this also Then we should never try to learn the soul for this intention Because Therefore we must purify our intention And make it absolutely sincere And say no I am learning the soul Why? So that I can become the slave of Allah SWT I want to become a true human being And I want that my name should be written in the ibad of Allah SWT How is it that a person's heart is rectified? That is because number one a person has sin in their heart And we have to wash that sin away And then once the sin is washed away Then we have to put the nur of zikr into the heart So the example of this that seems a wonderful example is like an air conditioner So the air conditioners that are in our homes They produce such cool air that we all get so happy but If there's an air conditioner that is faulty Then the way to repair it is as follows You have to take it to a mechanic And first the mechanic will vacuum it In the vacuum All the air that is inside will get sucked out It says that until, as long as there's air still inside it It's not going to be able to cool We'll have to suck out all of the air And then we'll have to put a particular gas in it The air conditioner gas in the compressor And only then it will be able to cool Sometimes you will see that in the piping of the air conditioner There's a tiny hole that you can't even see with the eye It's a pinprick size hole But because of that The gas in the air conditioner Doesn't make it cold enough So they don't understand They say we're trying to create a vacuum In order to put the gas in But we're not able to create that vacuum There must be some hole through which air is leaking in Then what they do is they coat it with liquid or soap And they can see from the bubbles Where the air is coming Until they cannot make it 100% Leakage proof They can't block all the leaks Then the gas won't be able to Go in that pipe 
and then when the gas isn't there then it won't be able to cool it and if you have a leaking pipe then after two, three, four days again the gas will be depleted and again the AC won't be able to cool so it has to be 100% sealed and this is why the mechanic will come and see they will run an AC for two hours and check it after two hours and see is the vacuum still there or not and if it's there then they know it's fine and if the vacuum level has gone down then it is a liquid and again they have to refill it with gas when you have a freshly filled AC with gas everybody can feel how cool it is just like that in our kalb, in our heart all of the negative effects and darknesses of sin we have to vacuum it out but sin is like a leak as long as there is a sin our heart will be leaking and you cannot create a vacuum a sealed vacuum so whether a person is traveling on this path for 3 years or 50 years if they don't leave sin uh, then it will keep getting vacuumed but they won't be able to get the nur of zikr because the nur will always leak out due to their sin therefore a person has to leave sin 100% and we keep repeating this that for this, in order to travel on the path of zikr and saluk a person must make a firm intention that they want to leave sin 100% a person should make a heartfelt commitment and firm resolve that I never want to do sin and I want to live a life taqwa virtue ibadah and once they do this then the toba will remove all the darkness of sin and then the zikr will put the nur into their gulb and they will feel the coolness of that nur in their heart that's why this path is difficult but at the same time it's easy it's difficult for that person who is trying to keep doing sin along with this path it's very difficult because don't you see somebody who is slipping <coughs> or for every step they take forward they take two steps backward and they're not really making progress but actually we keep slipping and dragging backwards we won't be able to make progress forward progress therefore we must 100% stay away from sin and then after that then we will be able to advance and progress in this path then inshallah then anwar of zikr then will come unto our kalb and if there is a tank of water and there are also holes in that tank so then will even if you fill up the tank with water will it remain full? No, because it will come out through the leaks and every night you can fill it and every morning it will be empty again. So I said, why is the tank empty? Because there are holes in the tank and if you fill it again, again the water will come out through the holes. So just like that, that for us ordinary people and the awliya, there's this precisely this difference that us, we sometimes we pray such ibadah that we get we put nur in the tank of our heart through our salah or zikr but at the same time we have still doing sin so the sin is like a hole we put a leak in that tank and then all the nur leaks out whenever we do the sin then there's some people, the oliya are those people who have left all sin, who are people of taqwa, and therefore there is no leak on their tank. So then every ibadah they do, they're filling up their tank with nur, and the tank keeps getting more and more full, and more and more full. And that's why even if an ordinary person, if they can just leave sin, 
just on leaving sin a person can be Allah just by leaving sin entirely a person can become the wali of Allah initial stage of wali that is given to every single person who leaves sin entirely and they will be amongst the awliyaullah In our Salsala, the first lesson in our Salsala is this that the Salik should make Zikr Kalmi. They're getting the Sabak of Marakaba and Latifa Kalm. They should do Marakaba and Zikr on their Kalm. This is the first step in our Salsala. So tomorrow, inshallah, we will start talking about the asbaq and the lessons of the sasla, starting with these first lessons of the lataif. How do they become jari? What type of ifkifiyat feelings does a person get? And those who were successful on this path of saluk, how, what was their key to their success in these lessons of zikr? So tonight was just a preliminary introductory session so that mashallah all of you have come and this is a precious opportunity and a golden time for us. So here we should not spend time talking and spend time meeting one another. We should not spend time talking and meeting with one another. Because this can be done after Eid. But rather in this time Everybody should be focused on their own self And they should be worried about their own zikr And even every, it should be exuding from your very face That you have come here with a worry With a concern to fix yourself All the time we should spend review in Allah We should be turning towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do ibadah, salat, tilawat, quran, durud, istighfar, muraqabah Sit in the appointed gatherings But at all time our focus, heart's focus should be on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And if these 10 days we can, our heart can be focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then inshallah we will feel a very big difference on our heart so you should think that here talking and conversation is extremely forbidden unless it's absolute necessity and there should never be a case when the masjid is filled with the noise of chatter or noise of conversation if you want to say five things say one instead if you can even refrain from saying one sentence and refrain altogether it's better not to talk that I've come here to talk to Allah subhanahu to just be silent and focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should attach your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you should enjoy the silence and then after being silent then for a few days you will experience something in your heart. So when people used to go to Tanabhav and visit Ashraf Ali they were not allowed to say anything other than salam to each other. Once a great scholar came and Shaykh Tanabhav told them on arrival that you have to be quiet. And he was so quiet that the people of Tanam Bhavan, he wouldn't even say salam, he would just wave with his hand. So the people of Tanam Bhavan thought he was mute, that he couldn't speak. And for 40 days he was like that, just doing zikr all the time, didn't speak to anyone. And after 40 days, Sheikh Panavatai asked him to give a bayan, their Quran. And everybody was stunned and we thought he was mute and he's giving such a big talk on Quran. That's how silent he spent time in this Anka. 
So therefore, we should just say salam and answer with salam to one another. All the time should be spent in ibadah, in mraqabah, all the time we should be in that. We should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should make your own du'as. You should join in the group du'as, but then you should make your own individual du'as. Come and sit in the rows before the time for salah. Make du'a to Allah subhanahu wa Come and sit in the rows before the time for salah. That's a sunnah. And then that person who sits in intidhar of salah, that person who sits waiting for salah, all the time they're waiting, they get salah of salah. And then because we don't have any place to go, then after we pray salah, we should remain seated there. And Imam Rabbana has written that that person who prays salah, after they finish their salah, they remain there. And as long as they remain in their place where they prayed salah, Allah Ta'ala doesn't remove their gaze of Allah Ta'ala doesn't remove his gaze of love and nur from them only once a person stands up and moves from that place then does Allah Ta'ala divert his special gaze from him so as long as a person sits there and keeps doing ibadat in that place they continue getting the tajaliyat of Allah Ta'ala if a person's beloved calls them to meet, then people go early to meet their beloved before the time. Just like that, salah is like that, that we want to come early for salah to show Allah we view the salah as the meeting of love. That you are beloved, and just like every lover shows up before the appointed time for the meeting with their beloved, we also want to show up before the time for salah. When it comes time to get up, the one who has the most love for the beloved, doesn't want to get up and tries to get up last so just like that after salah we should get up last as opposed to getting up immediately as if we have fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we're distant from Him oh Allah ta'ala I've prayed my salah and I'm still sitting here I can't leave your presence I can't leave your gaze so come early for prayer to show your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remain seated there after salah to show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah ta'ala didn't pray out of duty and obligation but I prayed out of passion and love so inshallah these 10 days that we have in a takeoff Allah Ta'ala will make it a good opportunity and there's so many people who have come and these are special moments of Ramadan may Allah Ta'ala accept our coming O beloved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are your weak and needy sinning servants, Ya Allah, we need your mercy, Allah. Ya Allah, we ask that you be our caretaker, our guardian, may you purify our gaze, cleanse our hearts, Ya Allah, fill our breasts with your love. Ya Allah, we ask that you light the flame of love for you in our heart. Ya Allah, we ask that you make zikr jari from our heart, from every atom of our body, from the core of our soul, from our bones and flesh and skin, Ya Allah, make us feel love and zikr for you. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept our coming here. Ya Rabbi we ask that you make us amongst the ranks of your lovers. Ya Allah, we ask that you take us out from this disgrace of sin and bring us into the grace and honor of obedience. Ya Allah, we are not. Ya Allah, please take us out of sin. Ya Allah, extract us from sin. Ya Allah, be our savior from sin. Ya Rabbi take us out from the disgrace of sin. Ya Rabbi we ask that you cast your gaze of mercy upon us. 
ربنا تقبل دعاءنا كأنت السميع القديم تقبل دعاءك تقبل رحيم